Let's do this. I don't know if you heard Andy when we started our time together this morning. He mentioned that this weekend six people have given their lives to Christ and gotten baptized. Two of them are here with us right now. They're getting dunked after service actually. Can we make some noise for them though and say welcome to the family? Yeah. Yes. Now, if you're sitting there and you're like, who is this guy? Okay, my name is Matt. Uh, I used to serve at this church for about eight years back in 2007. That means I got your children through their emo phase, so you're welcome for that, okay? Uh, When I left this town, uh, I had my 18-month-old daughter in tow with my wife and I. This is a picture of us now. There are more of us these days because we like making disciples. What can I say? Um, (laughs) This is... This is not an accurate depiction of our family. That's what we look like when we bribe the children with ice cream so we have nice family photos. This is more likely what you're gonna see if you come by my house. My wife's in school and she passed the test right there and that somehow meant they needed to get up on the table and dance one out for a second. And so it's nice to be, I say Northside's like the Olive Garden for me. I feel like when I'm here, I'm family. And so it is good to be with you guys. When you hear me talk about this place, you might hear me say us and we. I hope that is okay with you. It feels so good to be back here with you guys today. Now here's the deal. Uh, I know it's a rainy Sunday morning. I'll tell you a little something to get you warmed up. And since we're family, I'm going to tell you something that I might not normally share with another church if I was going to start a message. Um, I'll tell you a little detail about my wife and I. This is another picture of us more recently, but We got this thing in our marriage and I wonder if anybody else here has this. Here's the deal. We are madly in love with one another. But sometimes we can get on each other's nerves. I mean, I would die for that woman. I, anything she wants, I will work and go get it for her. She is my biggest fan, biggest supporter, uh, loves me so well, but sometimes we can get on each other's nerves. Anyone else got that in their marriage going on? Okay, don't be shy in church. That lady, she just pointed at her husband. She was like, yeah, this one right here. I get it. You are welcome here. We love you. And My wife didn't make the trip back here with me this time, but I can tell you, I know her so well. I can tell you one of the things about me that gets on her nerves the most is my inability to see and find things that are allegedly in plain sight. (laughs) Anybody, anybody, gentlemen, the closet is my kryptonite. I'll need the shirt. I saw the shirt come out of the, the washing machine and I knew it went to the, the, the closet and, and then I'm looking for the shirt and I'm nervous. So I go one hanger at a time from right to left and then one hanger at a time from left to right. And, and when I finally give up, I'll say, babe, have you seen the shirt? And she will walk up to the same closet. And in three seconds, and I do not know by which form of black magic she does this, she'll stick her hand in and boom, the shirt. This happened, you know, this, I cannot make this up. This happened last week. The fridge is another tough one for me. And we had this homemade barbecue. We struck a nerve right there, didn't we? Okay. 
we had this homemade barbecue sauce. My uncle had this recipe. It's like famous. And he passed it to me and I finally made it. I nailed it. It tasted just like I wanted it to taste. Put it on the, we put it in a, I ordered a squirt bottle. Like, you know, the little, like, it's like whitish, you know, you can't see through it. And I'm like, if you make a good sauce, it needs to be in that bottle. And so that bottle of sauce is in the fridge somewhere. I go to the fridge. I can't find it. I empty out the right side of the fridge. Yeah, I put everything back. It was not there. I go to the left side of the fridge. I empty everything out. I put it back. It is not there either. And so I think I got her. I think she threw away the barbecue sauce. And so I've got her because I'm going to go, I'm going to go like this. I'm going to go, so babe, have you seen the barbecue sauce? And, and she's going to go, uh, right? And she's going to look and she won't find it. And I'll say, ha, gotcha. Because I, it's not that I can't find things. You just move things all the time. And if you didn't move things all the time, I could find things all the time. This is your fault. And so, and that's how petty I am. And, and so, so I go to the, I go, I got this big, stupid grin on my face. And I'm standing at the fridge with the doors wide open. I said, babe. Can't find the barbecue sauce. Guys, I can't make this up. She walks up. Front row, dead center, eye level, the barbecue sauce. I got a three word tongue lashing. She looked at me. She said, open your eyes. Walked away. I tell you that. To tell you this, we are studying together in our time in the word, John chapter 9. Now listen, if you got a Bible, you got a Bible on your phone, if you like to highlight and underline and take notes, you are my people. Go ahead and get it out right now. I'll stall for you so you can get your phone out and go to John chapter 9. I'll just keep saying things while you are trying to find John chapter. See, look, we got our Bibles. We're going to study God's word together. I think John could have just titled chapter 9, Open Your eyes. John chapter nine, verse one. Let's do it. It says, as he, that's Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this is a fair question. There was a tradition in that time where they believed that if you had sinned or your parents had sinned, that God may take that out on you by causing some form of sickness, illness, Normality. And so this is a tradition in this time. It wasn't true. It was just a commonly held belief. They even believed that if a mother was pregnant and she went into a pagan temple with the baby in her belly, that then, then God might take it out, her eye to worship on the baby. The baby could be born with some sort of illness. And so that's why they walk by. They see a man who had been born blind. He's sitting there begging. And they ask Jesus on this. They say, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be on display in him. That is a mature concept, but suffice it to say, sometimes God chooses to show his power on the platform of our pain. Sometimes God chooses to show his power on the platform of our pain. That's not what we are here to talk about this morning. So we're going to get rolling. I want to slow down on verse 6 says, after saying this, he, that's Jesus again, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. 
I want to watch this one when I get to heaven. I've got a list of Bible moments and Jesus moments that I'm watching on DVR when I get to heaven. I want to see this moment when I get to heaven. Not the in the eyes, that's disgusting. I want to see the man come to the pool of Siloam. I want to feel it from the perspective of this man born blind. I want to be sitting there by the pool. They actually found the pool in 2004, and archaeologists identified the actual place. You can go there today. This is where it happened. I want to sit by that pool and watch as that blind man comes down the steps, undoubtedly led by a friend. I want to hear the friend whispering to him, hey, we're almost there. Just one more, one more step. Watch out. Okay. It's right here. I want to see the blind man shamelessly find his way into the water. I want to see him get his footing. I want to see the hands go into the water. I want to see him as he rubs the mud away, he blinks his eyes and sees two hands in front of his face. I want to hear what he said after that. I want to see his facial expression. I am watching what happened at the pool of Siloam when I get to heaven. But here's the most important question we have to ask of this morning. Here's the truth that we have to wrestle down to the ground today. We have to ask this question to get there. We must ask the question, what does that man getting healed in that pool on that day have to say to us 2,023 years later as we live our daily lives here in southern Indiana? What does this mean for us? And to understand that, we have to do some Bible study. We have to dive into this text. We have to understand John a little bit. And I think when we do, meaning comes flowing from this passage and into our hearts here and now today. Let's do some Bible study. Now, when we see these occurrences in the life of Christ, so Jesus encounters somebody with leprosy, somebody born blind, somebody who had passed away, and he heals them in this manner, we're inclined to say, and very rightfully so, Jesus performed a miracle. Very good. You're right. Now, here's the thing. When we read John's gospel, John does not call these miracles. John calls these miraculous occurrences signs. As a matter of fact, John builds his whole gospel around seven specific signs. And this is one of them. What do we know about signs? Well, signs point to things, right? A sign, a, a stop sign, for example, points to where you are supposed to stop. A sign that says no U-turns points to where you cannot do a U-turn. A sign that says speed limit 35 points to where some of y'all are going to get a ticket eventually. Signs point to things. So when John shows us Jesus doing a miracle, stick with me. When John shows us Jesus doing a miracle in the natural world, it is a sign that points to the way Jesus desires to move in our spiritual world. When you see Jesus perform a miracle, it is a sign that points to the way he desires to move in your life spiritually here and now today. So what is this pointing to? Here's first observation that we want to get our heads on around today. Okay, it's simply this. There are parts of your life that you will only see fully through the lens of your life surrendered to Jesus. 
There are parts of your life, Northside, and parts of my life as well, that we will only see clearly through the lens of our lives surrendered to Jesus. I want you to notice something. This man was only able to be healed and see after he had surrendered his life to Christ. It was not meeting Jesus that healed this man. It was not his encounter with Jesus that healed this man. What transformed his life was that he surrendered to Jesus and obeyed him in that moment. It is only through the lens of our lives surrendered to Jesus that we will see clearly. So I'm kind of a science nerd and... Uh, it's nothing for me to get sucked into a YouTube rabbit hole on any given subject for like three and a half hours. I'm like, all of a sudden it's panda bears. And then we've been studying pandas for three and a half hours. And I look up and I'm like, where are the children? And, and, and I don't even know. And, and so I keep an eye on things. And I've, I, see, I see one of the coolest things that I've seen happen in science lately is they've developed these glasses. And... These glasses are for people who are born colorblind. And these folks have seen in black and white and gray their entire life. And they've made it these glasses that make it so in an instant, these people see the world in full color. I, I honestly believe this is probably the closest we could get to witnessing what people witness when this man was healed. I brought a clip from it because I wanted you to see it for yourselves. It's so cool. Check this out. Happy birthday, dear daddy. Yeah, okay. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> what is this? Put them on. Put them on. Put them on. The sunglasses. How does it look? Oh, that's weird. Look at the balloons. <laughs> Can you see with our eyes now, baby? Can you, what colors you see? Those. <laughs> look like mud. <laughs> it looks like brighter mud. How cool is that, right? Yeah. And I find that so fascinating because he was seeing the world, but he was only seeing part of the world until he looked through those lenses. My friends, what John is telling us is Jesus is our lens. And it is only through the lens of our lives surrendered to Jesus that we will ever fully see. Do, do you want to see the fullness of marriage? And not just a marriage that makes you happy, but a marriage that makes you holy. Do you want intimacy like into me you see? Do you want a marriage that is stability for the family that you never had? Let me tell you something. That is a reality you will only see through the lens of your life surrendered to Jesus. Do you want to know sexuality? Who you, were, who you are, who you were made to be, and what healthy sexuality looks like in a world that's bent and broken. Can I tell you something? That is only a reality you will see through the lens of your life surrendered to Jesus. The list goes on. Do you want lasting emotional 
health? Do you want a peace that has nothing to do with how well your life is going? Do you want a strength greater than your own? Do you want to see the things in the Bible happening in your life on a daily basis? Those are realities you will only see through the lens of your life surrendered to Jesus. So the scriptures go on, verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now those are valid questions because before Jesus Christ, people who were born blind stay blind. But in Christ, this blind man now sees and this stir happens in the neighborhood. Like, ain't that Betty's boy? He used to sit down over, the, what's he doing? No, that can't be Betty's boy. And then they're talking about this young man. And he goes, no, no, no. Hey, Betty's boy, you're looking at him. I was blind and now I see. And so this stir happens, not just in the neighborhood, but in all of Jerusalem. Word trickles back to the temple where these Pharisees and these religious leaders hear that Jesus is on the move again. Now you need to understand this. They essentially have a warrant out for Jesus's arrest. They are doing everything they can to discredit Jesus to say Jesus is not of God or from God because Jesus is an interruption to everything they've worked to establish. And so our text goes on in verse 18. These Pharisees, they question this young man. He says, no, this really happened to me. And verse 18 says this, they still did not believe that he had been blind and received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it? that he can now see. Don't miss this. Pay attention to the hardness of their hearts. The kingdom of God has shown up at their doorstep and they're missing it in real time. God is on the move. He has sent his son. The blind are receiving sight. The kingdom is at hand and they are missing it. Verse 20, the parents respond, we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can now see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Hey, ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already, or who already had decided. Underline that one. Underliners, note takers, highlighters. Underline that. They already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. In other words, excommunicated. In other words, you can't work in this town. In other words, you're not, not one of us anymore. But John places those phrases they had already decided in his gospel to tell you and to tell me, the one who was blind now sees. And the ones who can see are now blind. The kingdom shows up at these Pharisees' doorsteps and they miss it. And here's why. Because what God was doing didn't fit in their box. They had a God box. And one of the walls on their God box was their past experiences. I mean, they had Exodus 
God rescued Israel from slavery. He's a deliverer. And then God gave us the law. And goodness gracious, we honor God by obeying the law. We honor God by following the law. We honor God by remembering what he did back in that time. And when God decides to do something new, when the fulfillment of the law shows up, when that exodus out of slavery was just pointing to Jesus who would lead humanity out of slavery once and for all, they miss it because they're so connected to their past experience. And to be honest, you guys, I get this. I could tell you times in my life where I was so attached to something that grew my faith, helped me, shaped me. Maybe it was a sermon I heard, a book I read, or even a pastor or leader that I was so connected to. I missed God when he wanted to do something new in my life. Another wall on that God box was their personal comfort. As in, I can feel what God is calling me to. He has been bothering me about this thing for quite some time now. But the problem is not him, it's me. Because where he is taking me is outside the walls of this box where things are really, really comfortable. I got the furniture where I want it in here and I watch Netflix at the same time every night. And if I do that, it's gonna be less comfortable for me. And I get that too. And that happens to us all the time if we're being honest. And still, for some of us, a wall on the God box is we're simply unwilling to make a sacrifice that we know God is calling us to. And for some of us, it could be a little habit that's become a crutch. It kind of makes the days easier and it's something we have a tendency to lean on instead of leaning on God. And you know that crutch is keeping you from everything you, made, you were made to be. But at the same time, it feels like something you're not ready to let go of. For some of us, we see these words and you're reminded of a relationship. And you know the relationship doesn't bring out the best in you and it doesn't bring God's best for you and it doesn't glorify God if you are being honest. But the thought of leaving that relationship and stepping into the unknown and the potential for loneliness, if we're being honest, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice you want to make. And I think John writes these words to warn us about the God box. Because here's the truth about a God box. We always talk about putting God in a box and never put God in a box. Can I tell you something? When you have a God box, it's not God who's stuck inside. It's you. It's me. Out here on the end or outside these walls is God and he wants to move and he wants to walk with you and he wants to know you and he wants to provide for you and he wants to bless you. But you can't get to that when you are walled up inside the box. I mean, look at our passage, right? Who's in the box? It's not Jesus. 
Jesus is on the move. Jesus is healing. Jesus is transforming. The blind receive sight. People are being saved. He is by no means in a box. These Pharisees are. You guys, I get it. It's a rainy summer morning. But maybe, just maybe, God brought you here this morning because there's some walls on that box. And it's time to let them down. Two more verses I want to share with you. The question, the parents, parents walk out, they bring in this young man who is blind and now sees for more questioning. Verse 24, it says, a second time they summon the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. We know this is not a God thing happening. We know this Jesus is an outlaw. He needs to be put out once and for all. As a matter of fact, you were healed on the Sabbath, weren't you? We have regulations against that. So whatever happened to you is sinful and was done by a sinner. And if you get the next verse, it could transform your faith. This is the man who was blind and now sees. Verse 25, he says, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. In other words, he says, I can't, I can't explain everything. I don't even understand everything. But here's the thing, I don't have to understand everything to believe something. I don't have to be able to explain every detail to you about Jesus to confess that Jesus changed my life. And here's the good news, Northside, neither do you. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. You don't have to understand every last detail about Jesus and the Bible and the Old Testament and the, the stars and the age of the earth and where the ark is and the universe. You don't have to have it all figured out to believe that Jesus is enough for you. My friends, that is where doubts go to die. And here's why that matters more than ever. We are in what they call the information era. On a day-to-day -day basis, you guys and myself are bombarded with more volume of information than any other human beings who have ever walked the face of the earth. And all of that information has come with so much more room for doubt, for skepticism, and faith anxiety. You can hear a 10-second clip uh, streaming or on YouTube or on TikTok or on Instagram or whatever you're up to. You you can hear a podcast or a joke somebody makes at your work and it can give birth to a mountain of doubt, skepticism, and disbelief. I had a dear friend, great man of God, and he had three words or three sentences on a YouTube video that gave birth to three years of doubt and despair. And as the information has grown around us, so has the potential for doubt and disbelief. And that's where this young man's response is simply so powerful. He says, I don't really understand all that. I can't tell you what happened to me. All I can tell you is he changed my life and from now on, I'm with him. 
This matters today. This matters in 2023. And you know what that means? It means every time you hear some fact about science, the age of the universe, evolutionary biology, or some other thing that shakes you a little bit, you don't have to remedy that fact in order to keep following Jesus. If you know he's changed you, you know enough to keep following Jesus. If you hear something that throws you, you don't have to throw out Jesus's whole track record of faithfulness in your life because you heard one thing that you don't understand. These words mean it is theologically and intellectually okay to say, you know what? I don't have an answer for that. I just know he changed my life. You guys, I had something weird happen to me last night. I was here at service and my friends from the class of 2003 Bloomington High School were celebrating our 20-year high school reunion. I figure, you know what, if I'm not there, that doesn't mean I've aged 20 years, so I'm going to just hide here and let them get older. (laughs) But more importantly for me, that means I've been following Jesus for 20 years now. And when I began my faith, I I did all the stuff. Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Tim Keller's book on that sort of thing, Ravi Zacharias. I got my facts straight. I was like, if I'm giving my life to this thing, I'm gonna make sure we're good. But 20 years down the road, my faith is 10 times stronger. And it is not because I've learned more facts. It is because I've watched Jesus be so faithful to me. My faith is now resting on how he's done things with me I could have never done myself. He's taken, places, taken me places I could have never taken myself. He's given me things that I could have never got for myself. So here's the deal. You can keep bringing me facts. I'm just going to go with him. You can keep telling me about some new thing they found in outer space. I'm going to tell you he was the only thing that could take my shame away. When my anxiety was crippling, he set me free. He has never left me nor forsaken me. And at this point, you guys, I love you. I'm just never going to leave or forsake him. I'm done. I don't have to know everything to believe something. And neither do you. So here's the deal. The intellectuals in the room are arguing with me right now in their minds. I get you. And right now you're winning the argument. That's fair. But I'll tell you something, this isn't blind faith. We do this all the time. I don't know how consciousness works, but I believe in it. In your purse or your pocket right now, there is a phone. You do not know how that works, but you use it every day. I can explain it like this. Uh, any, Any food people in the house? Come on, anybody else as hungry as I am right now? If you're just like, wrap this up, buddy. I gotta eat. I'm there with you, okay? Like, stick with me. We're gonna get through this. I can get food into any sermon. And so, anybody bake? Come on, anybody bake and know how to bake? Okay, you are, God bless you people. If you could know how to bake fresh bread, oh my gosh, may the Lord bless you and keep you, okay? I don't bake, my daughter bakes, I eat, but I, I know that there are two essential ingredients in bread every time, right? You got flour and you got yeast and you got all the other stuff that you want to put in there, okay? These are the essential ingredients. And and if you bake, you know, you put the yeast in the bread or in the dough 
And the yeast feeds on the sugars that are in the dough. As it does so, it releases carbon, carbon dioxide, and, and that's what makes the dough rise, okay? The yeast eats the sugar, the sugar releases gas, and gas makes the bread rise. Okay, we're tracking. Now, bakers, bread people, my friends, can I tell you something? If tonight some scientist or scientists discovered, hey, turns out that is not how yeast works in bread. As a matter of fact, it's completely different than you thought. It's completely backwards. That is not what happens, and that is not how it works. It's some other process completely different than the process that you thought you were using when you were making bread. So everything you knew about making bread is different than you thought it was. Can I tell you something? Do you know what you will do two weeks later when you get hungry for some bread? And you want your house to smell like bread? And you want your family to gather around as you put a crusty loaf of bread on the cutting board and slice into that thing and butter it and pass it out. You know what you're going to do? You're going to make bread. Whether it's exactly like you thought, exactly like you were taught or not, you're going to make bread. Why? Because bread has been good. Bread still is good. And it will continue to be good. Can I tell you something? Jesus is the bread of life. He has been good. He is good. And he will continue to be good no matter what they come up with next. Period. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. That's where doubts go to die. Let me personalize it for you. My oldest, Lucy Marie Allman, is 11 years old, and this week she made the decision to get baptized. And July 9th, after our church service, she's going to get dunked. We, we don't have a tub like this. We literally have this tub that, that they feed horses with. You know, the water tub for the animals. We roll that bad boy out and put a hose in there. And, and, and then you, good luck, okay? <laughs> and, and, and I was thinking about it because she's going to go in that tub. And, and she's going to be baptized. And she's going to be made new. And, and then she's going to walk out of that tub and into a world that is going to try and undermine her faith for the rest of her life. And it'll be podcasts and streaming videos, peers and professors. And for the rest of her life, there will be a culture trying to get her to doubt the decision she makes on July 9th. So I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her, as she sits there in that tub, hey, listen to me, young lady. Your mom and your dad were not good people. We were selfish people. We were rude people. We were small people, and we were frightened people. But we met Jesus. And he changed everything about us. He put a love in our hearts that has transformed us from the inside out. And Lucy, everything that you like about our family, your mom and your dad, it comes from Jesus. 
Everything you experience, the stability, the joy, the fun we have, the kindness, the marriage you look up to, it is all because of Jesus Christ. So that anyone who wants to undermine her faith is gonna have to climb atop a mountain of Jesus's faithfulness to get to her heart, period. So where are you at this summer morning? For you, are there some walls separating you from the God who made you, knows you, loves you, and wants to walk with you? And today's the day that you're supposed to start letting some of those walls down. For you, is, is it time for you to start letting Jesus' long history of faithfulness in your life, is it time to let that start speaking louder than your doubts and your questions? Is it time to return to the faith of your youth when you were so alive and so free? Or for you, have you been walking in spiritual blindness? And you've been trying to fix things and they keep getting worse. You've been trying to change yourself, but it never works out. Have you been trying to fix yourself and you are now at the end of your rope? Maybe today's the day where you're supposed to trust Jesus and let him move you from blindness to sight and from darkness to light. The Bible says it's so simple, you repent. That's just giving Jesus the keys of your life and saying you're driving from now on and, and you'd be baptized. Maybe you're supposed to be the next one baptized here in this church and you let Jesus do things in your life you could have never done for yourself. So here's what we'll do. I'm gonna close us in prayer. And if you've got a faith step that you feel God calling you to take, when everybody gets up and leaves, all you have to do is stay seated. We have folks who would love to come pray with you and help you take a next step in your faith and in your walk with Christ. If today's your day, I'll make you a promise. I've been doing this thing for about 20 years and never once in those 20 years have I seen someone regret taking a next step in their walk with Christ. I'm gonna pray for you and then we'll be done today. Let's pray. God and Father, in our hearts and our lives, we pray that you would be God. That you would gently and in love call us to yourself. Where there are doubts, would you give us faith? Where there are walls, would you help us bring them down when we don't even feel like it, God? Would you continue to call us to yourself? 
and make us a people who see life that was always meant to be through our faith in Jesus Christ. All these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Thank you for letting me be with you today. There's burgers and hot dogs and all kinds of stuff out there. Love you guys. Have a great week. Catch you later. Peace.